Good morning. If you don't mind uh, grabbing a copy of God's Word and turning with me to Psalm 119, and we'll be looking at verses 9 through 16, text that Ryan read for us earlier. Looking forward to our time. I started a couple of weeks ago uh, looking at each one of these stanzas. That's our goal and our aim. So we have 22 stanzas here in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the Mount Everest of our Bibles. It's the largest chapter uh, in our Bibles. It's right there in the middle and sticks up and and really calls a great deal of attention to itself. As you consider each one of these stanzas, it's, a, it's an actual acrostic. And if you don't know what an acrostic is, it's where the, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet is used. Each verse begins with that letter in every stanza. So here in our letter, our, our stanza, it's Beth, the Hebrew alphabet letter Beth, which is also the same word for house. And if, if you, maybe you, you hear Bethlehem, house of bread. One individual made a note of that. Considering this text, it's like the underlying thought is making our heart a home for the Word of God. That's really what sticks out about this psalm, is that not only is it the largest, not only is it an acrostic, it has one theme, and that is the love and delight for the Word of God. And it just bleeds from every verse and every stanza, and and we have it here before us. And really, what directs us through this stanza is this question that it begins with. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So there's three things I want us to look at. The first thing is, I want us to look at the question, how can I keep my way pure? I want to answer that. How can I keep my way pure? And we'll answer that here in a moment with two other points. But why is that so important? Why is purity and holiness important to me? as an individual. But we're going to answer how we keep our way pure with two actions. First, staying in the Word. And second, savoring the Word. Savoring the Word. So this question, how can I keep my way pure? And verse 9 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, just off uh, up front, we want to be clear, though. This does not just set aside a certain group or age group here. This is a question that every believer in Jesus Christ longs to ask and to pursue. doesn't matter. You can insert, how can a, 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 an older man keep his way pure? How can a young lady keep her way pure? How can a wise woman keep her way pure? Do you see what I did there? We want to be wise in that. We want to know how can we keep our way pure. Way is a word that's actually used all throughout the psalm. We looked at this in the following stanza, and it speaks to a, a figurative way to describe our conduct and lifestyle. So how can our conduct, the way we live and present our life, be pure, holy, clean, as, as some would translate it. Clear. How can we do that? Well, he answers that. By guarding it according to your word. Guarding or keeping. Watching. But I like this word, guarding it according to your word. Things that need to be guarded show the worth and value of something. We, we guard 
our finances by putting them in a safe or in the bank. We guard and protect our family by, by, by having locks and having a gun loaded. We guard things that are valuable to us. For the people of God, our purity, our holiness is valuable. It has a worth to us. And really, we can kind of see this both from the Old Covenant or Old Testament and from the New Covenant and the New Testament. So first, to the Old. How did the people of God... How were they holy? Well, I think one of the best places for us to look is in the book of Leviticus. If you were just to, to go to any Bible search engine and type in holiness or holy and look at how each book uses it, it is very fascinating to see that Leviticus, this is the major theme, holiness, being set apart. And so the Lord instructs his people to be holy. Would you turn with me to Leviticus? Leviticus chapter 11 is where I want to go. Leviticus chapter 11. And we'll actually look at verses 44 and 45. Now we'll, we'll look at both the New and the Old Covenant. Right now in the Old Covenant, God calls for, commands first for his people to be holy, for his people to be holy. Look at verse 44. He says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate. That's to set apart for holy. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. He calls his people to be holy because first he is holy. He, calls, he brings them out of Egypt and he says, I will be your God, you will be my people, but you must be holy, set apart, not like any other. And I'm going to direct you in that way. Here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you laws. I'm going to give you regulations. I'm going to give you a diet that you're supposed to hold to. I'm going to tell you what's clean and what's unclean. And you're to abide by this. You're to be holy, set apart, not like any other nation, just as I am holy and set apart. That's the command that he gives to the people. Now, we know that this is something that's very important to the Lord. We know that. Let's, let, me, let me just read for you. You, just, you don't have to turn here. Let me just read for you how many times the Lord repeats this. Leviticus 19.2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 27. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 20, 26, you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Leviticus 21, 8, you shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you, for I, the Lord God, who sanctify you, am holy. Time after time after time, I am holy, you shall be holy should be in the, just ingrained in the thinking of his people. There is a way in which they are to live, conduct their lives, that is pure, right, and clear. 
the word is which directs that way. He's given them his law. And it's from the law that the, the psalmist here is thinking and saying, I guard it, I protect it, it's valuable to me because first, it's commanded to me. It's commanded to me. Now the problem is, God knows the limitations of his people. He knows our make. He knows that we will constantly be fluctuating out of this in and out lifestyle of unholiness. The people will become unholy. They would touch something that's unclean. They would, they would find themselves needing to be cleansed. And that's where the sacrificial system came in. They'd bring in an animal. And by the blood of this animal, they'd be cleansed and be made pure again. But they would walk out and they would do it again and become unclean again. The sacrificial system really just sets us up for the new covenant. And the New Testament is there's a longing for a better way here. For us to be made holy before the Lord. Made blameless and right. And that is what Jesus Christ accomplished. That's the book of Hebrews over and over again. Better high priest, but ultimate sacrifice. By his blood, he has redeemed a people and made us pure before the Lord. Titus 2.14, who gave himself, this is Christ, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. We've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are made holy and cleansed ultimately by his work. That's the sacrificial system of the New Testament, by faith alone and Christ alone. Would you, would you turn to me to 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 is what we're going to be looking at. It was commanded in the Old Testament of the people to be holy. It was commanded, and it was because they were to also share in the holiness and attribute that their father, their, their God had. But that is true still in the new covenant. The system has made us right before the Lord, pure before the Lord. We're to continue in that purity. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 as Obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So it's back to the same place. We just have the foundation of Christ. We value a pure and holy life, ultimately, because number one, God has commanded of us to be holy, to be pure. Number two, he wants us to share in that attribute. That attribute is shared with us. It's part of his moral character. And we are to be holy as he is holy. We're to value our purity. Sons and fathers have a unique relationship. And, and a young son will often express that with a statement. Daddy, I want to be blank just like you. That's a sweet statement. Probably many of you fathers have, have heard from your children. 
want to be a blank like you. That just happened to me here recently. One of my sons, as we were driving off from the church, we spent some time in the office going to run an errand. He said, Daddy, I want to be a pastor just like you. I thought, that's really sweet. Before I got a chance to kind of educate him, say, well, let me speak to that. He said, Daddy, which office will be mine? And I thought, okay, I see where we're going with this. But we do that. Children want to be like their fathers. And as the children of God, we should long to be like our heavenly father. We want this attribute. It's valuable to us because it's his command and it's valuable to us because he is holy and we want to be holy as he is holy. So I hope this is on your radar. I hope you were concerned. Dear believer, I hope you were concerned about living a pure life, a holy life, a life set out to live unto the Lord. And maybe it's not. Maybe this never crosses your mind throughout the week. Holiness, purity, none of this touches you. And this is where I'd ask you to look to Jesus Christ because you can't make yourself pure. You can't make yourself holy. That's why you need the blood of Jesus Christ applied to you. So this is a valuable question, a very important question, a timeless question. How can I keep my way pure? The answer, by guarding it according to your words. So the question before us now is how do I guard my way according to the word? I think there's two things that we see in this passage. Number one, we'll look at it, staying in the word. So how can I guard my way according to the word? By staying in the word. So as we look at verse 10, he says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. What we're going to see is this staying in the word, it impacts our heart, our heads, and our lips. And first here in chapter in verse 10, our hearts. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Something he's already said in, in uh, the previous stanza in, in verse 2 in describing the blessed man, that blessed man seeks him with their whole heart. So what, what he's getting at is he's considering my holiness, my purity. Here's what I long for. Not just to obey, just to obey. I want you. I want to be near to the living God. My obedience has a purpose, and that purpose is to be close to you. This speaks to the fellowship and communion we have with the living God. So he says, I seek you with my whole heart. I long to be near you. And closely tied to that is he petitions, he pleads with God, prays for him, let me not stray from your commandments. So they're closely connected. Being near to the Lord is closely connected with obeying the commandments of the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord has a close connection with our obedience. It's purposeful. Even on this side of the cross, we are called to obedience. And he, he puts it this way. He pleads with God. He says, let me not wander from your commandments. This guy has self-awareness. He knows if it's left up to me, I'm going to wander. 
And that's true of us. We're like a boat on a lake. If it's not anchored, we're drifting. We're not staying on course. So he calls to the king who anchors the heart to the word. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the man of God exerts himself, but, not, but does not trust himself. He knows that even his whole strength is not enough to keep him right unless his king shall be his keeper. And he who made the commands shall make him constant in obedience. He knows, hey, I want to be near the Lord. And I know nearness, his word brings me near to him. I want that. I need that. And he even cries out to the Lord, keep me from straying from your commandments. So it impacts the heart when we're staying in the word, but also our head. Look at verse 11. Our head. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This, this is a beautiful verse. A verse that many of us probably memorized at a very young age. It says, I have stored, I have treasured, I have hidden your word in my heart. I know I mentioned that we're looking at the head here, but, but we're really getting to something here. There's not a direct command in Scripture to memorize Scripture, but if there was a place to go, this would be the verse right here. I have, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This, this directs us to the best thing, which is his word. And treasures in our heart, helps us treasure in our heart the best, in our, in, or treasure this, the word, in the best place, which is in our heart, for the best purpose, which is not to sin against God. That's, that's our heart, longing to not sin against the Lord. Scripture should be something that we value and we long to put in our minds for the purpose of not sinning against God. John Piper writes, there are two ways to state the ultimate goal of life. One positive and one negative. Positively, we could say the ultimate goal of life is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Or negatively, we could say the ultimate goal of life is not to sin. They both mean the same thing because sinning is falling short of glorifying God by embracing other things as more enjoyable. The statement should rattle us as believers. I, I, I don't want to sin against God. I long not to sin against God. It's worth our thoughts. It's worth, it's worth being sure and taking everything captive by the word to ensure that doesn't happen. But also, we're not preaching or teaching here that you'll become perfect either. In reality, we're all stray from times to time. We're, we're, we're prone to wonder, as the song says. But we do long to not sin against God. Turn with me to Matthew 
chapter 4. The psalmist doesn't have a scroll with him as he walks along the way, as he does life, takes on the daily task that's before him. Only way for the word to take root in his heart and for him to not sin against his God is for him to have the word and wield it as a sword and for it to be a means for him to be sure he doesn't sin against his God. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gives us a wonderful example of what a life looks like that is treasured the Word of God, hidden the Word of God in one's, one's heart. Look, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, the, and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. What a wonderful example we have in Jesus Christ. Three times tempted by Satan. And three times he answers with the same statement. It is written. It is the most powerful thing we can wield against our sinful flesh is the word of God. It pierces, it strikes, it cuts it down. It recalls to our attention, no, that's a lie. No, I love God more than I love flesh. No, this is good. This is evil. No, this is right. That is wrong. It constantly is used in our hearts and in our minds to keep us from doing one of the worst things that we do, or from keep us from doing the thing that we don't want to do, which is sinning against our God. Because we love Him. Because we want to be near Him. We long to please Him. So we hide God's word in our hearts. We memorize the word of God. He continues really with this same thought. He says, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me. It's, it's a response of praise and closely connected to that is, hey, there's only one teacher here that can really teach me. And that is you. Teach me. Your word, this, this idea of going into it and studying it and, and understanding it and, and then therefore applying it to his life. The head is impacted when we're staying in the word and it guards us and guards our way. And then 
lips in verse 13 with my lips I declare all the rules of your law or all the rules of your mouth when the word of God the one that's being taught he becomes a teacher and he proclaims the truth he can't help but to speak it therefore in the life of a believer we call others to salvation in Jesus Christ through faith and repentance and teach them all that the Lord has commanded Matthew 28 Westwood is dedicated to the word of God and I'm thankful for that I'm thankful for our local body. I'm thankful for you and fathers and mothers that just you work so diligently to help your children memorize Scripture. That's such an encouragement. It's such an encouragement to see y'all stand, even just to hear, if you're not standing, sitting there and reading along. We prize the Word of God. John Piper, in the same message that I I quoted from, he, he, he says, there is no substitute for Bible memorization. And maybe you're, you're past that point, and it really is a struggle for you to memorize. There's some that it, it is a struggle, but it's, it's not an excuse not to go through the motions of that. I remember Brother Rick several years ago speaking about Bible memory, and in the, in the process of speaking about it, he mentioned maybe some of you are past that, where, you, where it's a little bit harder for you to memorize and keep it there. He says there's nothing wrong with still going through the motions of memorizing the Word of God. I think that's, that's just something that we should we strive for. I've heard it said, hey, if, if I was to give you $1,000 to memorize a verse, to fight a verse next week, all of you that stood up, $1,000, memorize the fighter verse. What kind of response would we have next week? There's a far greater reward than money. It guards us and guards our way. On the back of our, our Bible intake guidebook, we have an outline of, of skills and a process of memorizing the Scripture. An individual that that's taken from, his name is Andy Davis. He's a pastor in North Carolina. And to date, he has memorized over 40 books of the Bible. Over 40 books of the Bible. Now you, you say, well, I'd like to meet this fellow. You ask him, hey, I, I want to hear Leviticus. Let me hear it. He, he couldn't do that. He, his process here is he takes a book and he memorizes it from verse 1 all the way to the end. And he has his process. And once he moves on from there, he doesn't review that. He goes on to the next verse because he's constantly reviewing that book that he's in. But it's the process of memorizing Scripture. He he outlines on Sunday, you take the passage and you read it in its full context. Read it in its full context. And then look at the surrounding verses and then you commit to pray for the Lord to help you memorize this verse. Dependence upon the Lord. Monday, you take the passage, you read it aloud ten times with the reference, then you cover it and try to say it ten times, peaking when necessary. He also inputs, John, uh, John Piper suggests uh, when memorizing, emphasizing a different word, such as if it was Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. 
emphasizing every word, there is, therefore now no condemnation, there is, therefore now no condemnation, and so on through the verse to emphasize uh, the, each word there. Tuesday, you get to Tuesday, you take the verse, you say it aloud ten times without looking. If you need a peek, you can peek. You try to do that. Once you come to Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you're trying to, to look at it, recite it once, as well as all the other verses you've done. This next year, we're about to come over to January. Everybody has new goals, new visions for their life. I encourage you to set that in place, putting the Word of God in your heart and minds, memorizing Scripture for the sake of staying in the Word and guarding yourself so that you might not stray. Maybe you say, hey, Josh, no, I'm, I've strayed. I know I've been bought by the blood of Christ, but I have strayed. Well, there is wonderful hope and news for you that if you're truly in the blood of Christ, there is grace. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Plead to the Lord Jesus. Respond just like the psalmist in saying, Lord, I seek you with my whole heart. Let me not wander from your commandments. Out of a heart that values a pure way. So staying in the word. Lastly, savoring the word. Verses 14 through 16, we're going to see savoring impacts first our rejoicing, our meditation, and lastly, our delighting. So this rejoicing in Psalm 119, verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight or rejoice as much as in all riches. A heart that, that, that savors the word of God it, it rejoices. It can't help but to speak out and say, this is good. And the response is, compared to money, compared to riches, I'll take this any day. I love the word of God. I need the word of God. And so it's a response that, that Moses, at the end of his sermons in Deuteronomy, he comes to the place, he says, hey, this is not a small thing. This is your very life I'm speaking to you, speaking about the word of God. That's a heart that savors it, is one that rejoices and values it above all else. Technology has, has had a huge impact on our culture today. And many, I mean, it is just shaken up. Every industry, for sure. But one place that it has done a great deal of service is Bible translation. In the, in the last several years, Bible translations have been being spit out very quickly. And when I'm not talking about English translations. I'm talking about in foreign countries. I'm talking about in places where they, there's believers, but there's not a written copy of the Word of God in their native tongue. Praise God for ministries such as Wycliffe uh, Bible translators and many others that have set out to translate God's Word into other languages. I was looking this past week for an example 
of one of those, but there, there's just so many. You just searching, you'll find video after video of celebrations as a plane will whether land on a strip uh, or, or land in a field in Papua New Guinea and the, the people begin to come around it and you see they're, they're anxious, they're excited and they begin to bring these boxes out and unpack them and hand them to individuals and you can see the tears running down the eyes of the people as they're rejoicing as they delight and savor the word of God having it in their, their native tongue. And here we are in America, not only blessed with one translations, but God has given us many tools to love and savor and delight in his word. We should value the word. It also, when savoring, it also impacts our meditation. Almost seems redundant here, but verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. See, I did it. It's stuck in there. I can't get it out. It's like a, a song that someone hums and you realize, oh, it's stuck in my head. Oh, no. How do I get this out? It's like a circumstance that is in your life that it invades every part of your life. You can be doing the dishes or mowing the lawn or being doing your, your daily task at work and it's just there. You can't get it out. That is the word of God being meditated on, fixed, fixed in our minds. Fixed in our, in our eyes is what he's getting at. That's, that's, it's there. Spurgeon, he loved a certain book, and that book was called Pilgrim Progress. It's written by a man named John Bunyan. Spurgeon says, I believe I've read through it at least a hundred times. It is a volume which I never seem to tire, and the secret of its freshness is that it's so largely compiled from Scripture. He goes on to talk about Bunyan. He says, prick him anywhere. His blood is biblene. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend his example to you, beloved. What a wonderful description of a man that loved, savored the word of God, meditated upon it, and it impacted everything he touched a man who savored the word of God. And then lastly, really bringing it all together in verse 16, delighting as we savor the word of God, it impacts our delight. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Things we love, things we cherish, we don't forget about those. Don't you have memories reaching back years, you can just recall like that. It's because you value them, you love them, you cherish them. So your word, I won't forget it. It's not going to leave my mind. Maybe, maybe this isn't a time of confession for sure. Maybe you've bought a piece of furniture that's come in a box. Or maybe your wife has bought a piece of furniture that's come into a box. And as you open this box, there's, there's a lot of different things. First, you realize you've made a mistake, uh, and there's regret inside the box. So you open the box, and you begin to see the different parts there, and they're labeled A, B, maybe A, A, B, B, different nuts, different bolts, different screws. And you have a piece of paper that you are bound by. You, are, you have to abide by it, 
or, or else you'll come up with 10 extra bolts or 10 extra screws. So you, you follow the instructions, and, and, and there it is. It's complete. Looks somewhat like what was on the box. And what do you do? You throw away the box. You throw away those instructions. And, and you can't remember for the life of you those instructions. You can't remember how it directed you, which bolts to take, which, which piece went where. It's not the case for us in the Word of God. I mean, we are glued to it. Our hearts are drawn to it like a magnet because we love and delight in the Word of God. So when we were to examine what you talked about this past week, would they know that you have delighted in the Word of God, that you savor it, it has your thoughts, has your attention, has your rejoicing, would they know that? We stoke our delight by habits. It's just the way it is. Our, our delights, our pleasures in the Word is stoked by habits. Reading it, memorizing it, studying it, obeying it. It's just the way it is. My heart and my hope this morning is not that you're discouraged, but you're encouraged and challenged. I mean, the prize has been put before us. It's to live a pure and holy life. We value that. In Christ, we value that because we know there was a price that was paid to get us to this point. And he has not left us alone. He's given us the most valuable thing, and that is his word. And by staying in it and savoring it, we guard our purity. Maybe some of you, you need to come to saving faith this morning. Maybe you're, you're trying to live a holy life, but there, there's nothing happening there because you have yet to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. For, other, for others, we need to see this is important. It, it, it goes from this treasuring to wielding it like a sword in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks about putting on the whole armor of the Lord. Speaks about us yielding, uh, wielding, and utilizing the word as we fight against the flesh and the spiritual realm. We need the word of God. Came across a story of there at the end of World War II, Allied troops were trying to take Berlin. There was a few strongholds still there in the city. And they thought, this is, the, this is the one night that we can accomplish this. They got a unit of soldiers together. They said, hey, this is what we have to do. We have to tackle these several locations. But you have to memorize this in three hours, and this has to be done perfectly. So they agreed to the task. They, the soldiers set to it, memorized the map in three hours, and took off. Went to each location, was able to, uh, to attack and conquer each of those certain locations there in Berlin and take Berlin. It was actually such a, a tremendous task that the army several years later thought, can we replicate this? Can we, can we get a bunch of soldiers together to memorize something so detailed, so difficult, that they would do it again, be able to accomplish the task? So they set before the soldiers, we'll give you a full week of furlough. And a huge bonus. 
if y'all can accomplish this task. You got three hours, go. They took the three hours, went to try to replicate the same mission and failed. Time off, money, that didn't motivate them. It wasn't enough. What was the difference? The soldiers in World War II, their lives were at stake. It was serious. We either accomplish this or we lose. We either make it through or we die. The word of God should be prized in such a way and held in such a way where we realize our very life depends upon it. Being in it just as they were in that map, knowing it directs and guards our way. Heart is hope. My, my hope and heart this morning is that you stay and savor the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, you are holy and pure. And you have demanded of your people to be holy and pure. And you send your son, Jesus Christ, who is holy and pure in all of his ways, laid out the perfect example for how that obedience should look. And with his death, burial, and resurrection, with his sacrifice and the payment paid and applied to a life, one is equipped to rightly live a way that is pure and honorable, clean. Just as in the old, in the new covenant, we are called to live pure and holy lives. I pray that as a body, as a group of believers, we would value and cherish the pure way. Father, I pray that we would see that your word is, is the, the sword, it is the weapon by which we guard our way. I pray that we wouldn't be lazy when it comes to it. I pray that we wouldn't be apathetic. I pray that we would actually instead be determined to put it in our minds and hearts that we wouldn't allow our schedules uh, to be so crowded that we don't have time to read it. But as, Father, we come to it, that it would truly transform us, that it would protect us, that it would guard us, and that it would ultimately bring us to that goal of just being near you. Father, we thank you for the grace that's found in Jesus Christ because, Father, we know our hearts have the tendency to wander, the tendency to stray, but, Father, you have called us and you won't let us go. I pray that we'd hope in that as we consider this task of living the pure way. We love you and pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.